Welcome to the Adventure Unfolding Podcast, where we navigate adult ADHD together. I'm Nate. And I'm Jess. I have ADHD. And I don't. And we wanted to share our story with you. Grab a cup of coffee. And your favorite fidget spinner. And come along with us as we unpack our latest adventure. Welcome back to season two. Today on episode four, Nate is talking with Ryan Waldvogel, also known as Waldo. He's an account executive for a software company and has been in sales his entire career. Today's conversation details his journey of ADHD and how it has affected his career. He's even overcome severe anxiety that forced him to take a leave of absence. This is an incredible conversation that I know you're going to love. Without further ado, here's Nate and Waldo. I'm excited we're getting a chance to chat, man. This is this is great. Um, you know, anytime I get to have an opportunity to talk with someone who wants to take time out of their day and kind of share their story, I feel super grateful for that. And you know, we had a, a mutual friend make the introduction, which I thought was even yep. better. I love it when that happens. And uh, super cool. Yeah, man. So I'm ex- I'm excited to uh, to kind of dive in with the specific focus of talking through your experience with ADHD and uh, specifically in the workforce and how that's affected you and kind of some of the positives and negatives there. It's 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 really cool that you know you and I both being in the same industry right now, being in sales and specifically within software sales. Yeah. Um, I think that the industry creates some unique um, challenges, if you will. I don't know if they're really positive or negative. Yeah. Um, I was, before I got into software sales, I was in financial services. So I was selling, um, insurance and investments for like four and a half years. Um, and then transitioned over to the software sales side of things when my son was born and I looked at it as a, um, a way to, have a, a a pace of life that was more um, conducive to what my wife and I wanted for our family. So we were super fortunate to be able to kind of make that jump and have it work out and, and still, still, still liking it at this point, my son's uh, going to turn six soon. So it's been quite okay. a, quite a ride, Absolutely. but I would love to kind of kick things off. I want to toss it over to you. Um, I know we were kind of chatting uh, beforehand that, um, you had this really kind of unique situation where you went through this, 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 this phase of being kind of re-diagnosed with yep. ADHD. So I would love to kind of have you share a little bit about your ADHD story um, and kind of leading up to, to that point and, and, and how that really affected things for you. Yeah. So I think, you know, you, you sort of hit it on the head with this sort of re-diagnosis, right? So when I was young, um, about your son's age, maybe a year older, like seven or eight, I think, um, my parents and teachers started to notice that I was a little bit different, right? Like I had trouble sitting still. I had a lot of energy. I, you know, didn't have great emotional control, um, all things that are very sort of typical of ADHD. But back in that time, it was a fairly new thing, right? It was this sort of, um, it wasn't your typical depression or anxiety or something like that. It was something that was fairly new in the world. And obviously to a seven-year-old, 
that's probably when I started to notice that I was different than the other kids, right? Or what we would call mm -hmm. neurodivergent versus neurotypical. Um, so I was diagnosed originally at, I don't know the exact age, seven or eight years old and started taking medication. Um, so I did that all through, you know, let's call it elementary, junior high school. And then when I got to high school, you know, I decided, I should say our family decided, my parents and I decided that, you know, we wanted to give it a shot without medication. We wanted to try and see if we could, you know, thrive um, without being medicated, um, which is this really sort of interesting dichotomy in ADHD, right? Is do you get medicated? Do you do it naturally? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you manage the symptoms of ADHD? Um, so there were some things that I really thrived in in high school. Those were, you know, sports and social clubs and social interactions and particular classes that I had a lot of interest in. And then I really struggled in the other stuff. So things like math and English and some of those which weren't as um, exciting or what I would consider boring <laughs> yeah. were a real struggle for me just because of how my brain worked. So my senior year, I finally went back on medication, um, mm -hmm. knowing that we had a diagnosis already. So, you know, we spoke with somebody, they got me back on medication, uh, mostly to help me not like just bomb and try to get, you know, good enough grades to get into college. Hmm. And then, you know, you start your adult life in college, you have all of these other things going on. So I was a collegiate athlete. I was a cyclist, a D1 cyclist for Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado, um, which really helped me sort of manage a lot of those symptoms as I was going through um, college, but had some challenges in college as well. Nearly failed out of freshman year mostly because some of the classes that I were taking were boring and there was other more exciting things happening in my life at that time. Right. So that was a little bit of a challenge um, until I found some good guidance from teachers and other people. And, you know, my girlfriend at the time that really helped me ultimately get through school, graduate. Um, and then that's when sort of the re-diagnosis happened. So, um, I went the first two or three years um, in my professional career without being medicated, really just trying to work through it. And there were some challenges. I had some success in sales, which we can sort of talk about that a little bit later as well, but um, had some success, but was really struggling to sort of fit into this traditional corporate culture, right? Which is, you know, be at your desk at eight, don't leave until five, like, you can only take a break from noon to one or whatever that happened to mm -hmm. be. And I really felt myself struggling to, number one, do what I knew what I was capable of. So be really successful in a role, um, you know, show up as my best self every single day. So I decided as an adult um, and with a child on the way. So this was, you know, a number of years ago, like almost 14 years ago now. Um, that I wanted to go back and see a doctor because there was just some things that I was really struggling with. Um, again, focus and attention, some anxiety. Um, some of that's from sales. Some of that's from untreated ADHD. Yeah. And um, that's when I decided to go back and get re-diagnosed um, or just find out if there was something different going on ultimately. Yeah. So that's crazy. Like your story is so is, is unique in a lot of ways and, and I'm just, I resonate with so many things that you just said. So I want to, I want to take a, go back a little bit. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that you were an athlete in college. Um, so being a D1 athlete, being a collegiate athlete, 
I was um, I was also a collegiate athlete. I played D2 tennis for four years. That's I got a scholarship to come out from Massachusetts to go to Ohio to play tennis for a small school in Ohio. Okay. And I felt like um, I also did not do well freshman year of college. So let me say that I was in high school, um, super average, like just very average, right? And I played tennis in high school, was extremely focused and very competitive and did pretty well. So I had, I've always talked about that. If I didn't have tennis in high school, I don't know what would have happened because I didn't really want to do well in school to like do well in school. I wanted to do well in school so I could keep playing tennis because if I didn't do well, like I knew I wouldn't be able to do that. So I was like, that's what I want. And I always remember my, my mom would tell me, when you go to college, you're going to do so great. Like you're going to be able to do things that you're, you're, you, you find interesting and that you care about. Like yeah. you're just going to do so great. And she was not quite right. <laughs> <My> <laughs> freshman year of college um, was on academic probation um, yeah. by the end of the first semester. And what it was for me, it wasn't, it was a combination between like the workloads way different, but it was mm-hmm. also this realization that like, Oh, I can kind of do whatever I want and there's really no ramifications. Like I can just- Until you're put on academic probation. Yeah, until there's a consequence. (laughs) But it felt like I could just do, I I could just not go to class and then I'm not gonna get sent to the the principal's office. Like I can just not go and no one's really gonna get super upset for a while. So I kind of waded through that interesting dynamic. But um, I do think that being a collegiate athlete and having such a regimented schedule, like I'm sure you had, really helped keep the 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 ADHD side of me kind of at bay a little bit longer like it wasn't mm-hmm. I didn't feel looking back on it and I'm like oh there were so many signs you missed right like the yeah. reason you couldn't <laughs> study for more than 13 minutes at a time <laughs> is not necessarily because you didn't want to do well it was because your brain was just really struggling right um but having that routine and, and knowing what was happening next, life is kind of simple, call, you know, class, food, tennis, friends, repeat, repeat, repeat. Yep. Did you find that same experience? Did you feel like being an athlete helped? Um, and when you left college, do you, did you, did you, the lack of structure there, was that a, an issue for you? Yes, 100%. And like you, I was also on academic probation after my first <laughs> semester. So uh, it's too very, like very common, you know, stories, but yes, as an athlete, I think there's a couple things that, that helped with the ADHD, but also made the, it helped with the routine, right? Because like you said, you sort of rinse and repeat each day, mm-hmm. go to class, eat food. For me, it was go ride a bike, right. With yeah. the, with the team, hang out with the team, other people, try and get a good night's sleep, rinse and repeat, go back to class, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, that's something that's really important for people with ADHD is having some routine, right? But there's, there's sort of a double-edged sword there because too much routine creates boredom and, and then some other things, right? So there's this, there's this sort of interesting dynamic there. Um, But also, you know, just physical activity for those of us that have ADHD brains is incredibly important for dopamine reasons, right? So helps with dopamine production, which ADHDers really struggle with. So yeah, I think our stories are really similar. It really helped, in college outside of the academic probation that first semester for me was really keeping me, it kept me focused enough to get through that first portion of school before I really started to understand what the heck was going on. 
Right. Right. And that, um, yeah, I, again, I, I really just resonate with, with what was going on with you. I feel like I was dealing with the same thing. So now you're, you're leaving college and it's time to go into the real world. Um, now we're both in sales now. I believe right out of college, you went right into a sales role, right? I did. Um, so I was fortunate enough that I had two parents that were in sales the vast majority of their life. Um, so I, for a couple reasons, I think sales number one was, and it happens for a lot of people with ADHD is something that resonates with us, right? Because it's dynamic, it's changing. There's always something interesting. You can work for a company or a product that you really believe in, right? So it gives our mm -hmm. brain something really, um, concrete to focus on and to talk about and learn and absorb, which we're really good at. Um, yeah. But I had two parents that had successful sales careers. And I was like, man, like, I want to be able to live that kind of lifestyle. Mm. I want to be able to um, have some freedom in my day, right, which I just knew, you know, sitting in an office every single day was going to be a challenge. Little did I know that there was still a lot of that. Anyhow. Um, <laughs> But it gave me enough. So yeah, I started in sales. I started in outside B2B sales for paychecks. Um, so uh -huh. I was going out and talking face to face with customers that needed payroll, human resources, benefits, workers compensation, things along those lines. Um, but and so it's also me, where I really, you, yeah. Let me ask you one thing there, because again, another similarity between us, I also was in an outside sales role, also drawn to sales for the same reasons where I was like, people were like trying to figure out what you want to do. And I'm like, I don't want to sit in an office. Like I got to, I want to go out. I want to see people. I want to do things. I want to talk to people. I think sales is what I want to do. And it was a kind of, you know, my parents were not perfect. We're not in sales. Um, and so I remember my dad being like, I think you would do well just because of your personality and things like that. So I always find it so interesting that that is what we were drawn to. Mm -hmm. um, and there was an interesting dynamic with, with my first experience for the first four and a half years of my career where it was a sales role. There was, um, you know, being in the office and doing stuff, but the majority of my day, I'm getting in the car, I'm driving to people's houses or meeting people at, you know, places of, you know, for lunch. Yeah. And so the scenery is always changing. Everything's always changing. So it was always exciting. There's always something new. And I didn't really realize like, oh, that might be like a really good thing for my brain that's mm -hmm. why i was like kind of kind of drawn to this now you also mentioned that you know there was some you know coming in at a certain time and and, and switching things up and having to be in office for a while and you can only take a break here like that can be a, a struggle um when when did you move into kind of outside of this outside sales maybe into more of what people would call inside sales so for me, I went from financial services, I, and then I broke into software to be a, a, an SDR. Okay. Um, and for anyone who's not familiar with software sales, SDRs help set that initial appointment for the rest of the team. So yeah. it's a lot of phone calls, emails, messaging, trying to get meetings booked. Um, it's super intense. Um, yeah. And the environment I was in was very intense, very- like yeah, very boiler room ask, very cutthroat, very high intensity. And I remember when I went into that environment, that I had so many conflicting emotions all of a sudden because I was like, wait, this pace is super exciting. Mm -hmm. The energy is really great. Mm -hmm. I'm not on full commission anymore. That's amazing. 
Yeah. And I was like, I, this is, this is the best. This is the best. And it was a, it was a path. I, you know, I wanted to be an account executive, which is more of closing all the you know, full sale, full cycle sales, yeah. uh, as we would say. So it was a means to an end for me. Um, and then a couple months in, I found myself getting really antsy and like really unsatisfied because I was like, I would, I would show up and I would sit down at my desk and be like, I do oh, not want to make phone calls right now. Yeah. Like I don't want to make phone calls, but there's literally nothing else for me to do when that was one of the key metrics that had to, that I was measured on as yep. most SDRs are. And I was like, this kind of stinks. Like I need to get to that next level. So I have something else to do. And then I'm going to assume you felt this, but I want to hear from you too. Is like, I felt like I'm so lazy. I'm so unmotivated. Like, why am I not motivated? Why am I not, um, working hard like everybody else what is wrong with me that i'm i'm falling down the the, the ladder per se yeah. um it just felt like it was all me like because you always try and take ownership of of everything you can yeah so i'm interested as your career progressed did you hit anything similar and then how at what point did you have um this this moment because i know you mentioned to me like you know there were some um, really hard times things with anxiety and kind of trying to deal with the, the stress and having like panic attacks. Like how, when did that yeah. come into play for you? How did you get there and, and how did, how did you navigate that? Yeah. So I think very similar situation again, is I was in this outside sales role. Um, I was living in California. So my son was born in California. Um, I spent about five years out there right after school. Um, cause it was like, oh, California, there's a great job market this is before yeah. the big crash, right? This is before everything sort of tanked in 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, so I moved back, I'm a native of Colorado. So I moved back to Colorado with my, my son and his mom. And, um, I started in a very similar sort of like an inside sales role. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. It's a great product. I think this is really cool. It's going to be a new way to do business. It was about like webinars and video mm -hmm. conferencing and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And this was back in like 2011. So it was all pretty new and sparkly, right? Now we do this every day. But <laughs> same thing. I was really excited. And then I had, I started having a lot of those same feelings because a lot of what our job was, was that same thing, right? Lots of cold calls, lots of emails. LinkedIn was just sort of starting to pick up some steam back then as well. So it was like learning to message on LinkedIn and how does that all work? Um, and for me, what I found from the outside going into the inside sales role is even though it was exciting and there was this energy, right? It was monotonous. Mm -hmm. It was the same thing every day. It was making a hundred phone calls. It was sending 40 emails. It was connecting with all these people, right? Which even though there's some excitement and energy in that space, our brains, ADHD brains just don't work well there. They just like, even if it's the most exciting place, the coolest company in the world, like it's those monotonous non-changing tasks every day that yeah. start to make you feel drained and like, man, I'm unmotivated. Right. Cause that dopamine is no longer starting to pick up steam every day. Cause it's like, I've done this a million times. Um, so for me, that's sort of when my career challenges started was, I kept sort of going to these different companies that had a similar corporate culture, right? So yeah. that same sort of boiler room, making lots of phone calls. So I, I, you know, 
on a couple of occasions I quit jobs because it's like, I can't do this anymore. Right. I'm, I'm done. I'm over it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. You know, same things you said, why am I not working as hard as everybody else? Mm. And it's because my brain just sort of shut down in those particular environments. Um, and did you, did you, so kind of coming into this, you had mm -hmm. a diagnosis, you've, you've been on medication, you're kind of working through that in these moments were you thinking like, my brain doesn't work this way. I need to find something new. Could you, could you kind of like identify that? Like it's, there's the AD, my ADHD is affecting me here or, or even where, or was it still a little bit more kind of unclear of what was happening for you? It was unclear. Like, even though I had a diagnosis when I was young, I don't think I had the sort of self-awareness and understanding of mm. ADHD brains, neurodivergency, Right. Those were all things that were sort of foreign to me still. So I had those same struggles of like, why is this not why is this not working for me? You know, right. I come in, I'm excited. I'm, a year down the line, I'm bored and I'm unmotivated. I'm falling down the ladder, like you said. Right. I was at the top for the first nine to six months or, um, you know, let's say the first three months to six months. I was killing it. Right. And then mm -hmm. I just like near and then things like kept falling down. Um, so it wasn't until really you know, we fast forward a few years from there, a few different jobs. Um, I was working for a large um, company that does payroll, uh, full outsourcing of human resources for sort of mid to enterprise level organizations. And that's really when I went for a re-diagnosis. And the reason being is that I was having panic attacks. I would go into work every day and I would um, you know, it started pretty nor like normal anxiety, like, oh man, you know, I'm, I'm antsy. I want it's Monday and I want to go to work. And, and then it turned into full blown panic attacks where there was a couple of days that I even drove to work. I had about a 15 mile commute where I don't, I don't remember driving to work. Oh man. Like the panic was so bad that I just like, my heart was racing. Like I wouldn't even remember the whole drive to work and I'd sort of be in work and going like, how, like, how did I get here? Um, not like amnesia, but like what happened between me leaving yeah. the house and actually getting here um, to the point that I actually took a leave of absence from work. So I had what I would consider and I think a lot of people would consider a, a mental breakdown. I just, you know, everything was falling apart in uh, in work and my personal relationships. There was just so much going on and it was anxiety because of my untreated ADHD, which is really common. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of people that experience anxiety before they learn of their ADHD diagnosis, um, whether you've had one before or not. So I actually went back in. I was like, I, I've got to get help. I got to find out what's going on. I knew that I had ADHD, but I had no idea that what I was doing on a daily basis was affecting that in a way that created the anxiety and ultimately this sort of mental break. Yeah, and that's a great that's a great point to bring up because that is something that I've learned more about too is this connection between ADHD and anxiety and a lot of people you know deal with anxiety and w folks like you and I where if we can get treatment for ADHD the undiagnosed ADHD that helps with the with the anxiety. And I remember for myself primarily being in the first couple of years of my career in financial services, that was full commission. So there was a lot of pressure and stress there. Absolutely. I remember having, you know, so much, so many days where I knew like, if things don't change quickly, the, 
the money I'm going to make is not going to cut it. Like it's not mm-hmm. going to be enough for the family. And that was super hard to deal with. Yeah. And then I would be in this place where I'd be like, I need to change something. Like we need more activity. We need more appointments. We need more deals. We need more money. The only way to do that is you got to do these activities, but I couldn't get myself to like do those activities or, or change something to get a different result. And looking back on it, I was just so caught in this like paralysis, what like this ADHD paralysis of like, Mm -hmm. it's so overwhelming that I can't, I just shut down. I can't do anything, but I had no idea what was happening. I was like, I'm just tired. I'm like downing caffeine, like trying to get myself to like go (laughs) like that's gotta be it. Right. So like thinking that's going to work and then it's not working. So, you know, that, that realization of looking back of going, yeah, all this anxiety, like definitely was causing these problems, but to solve the anxiety, we had to look at, we had to look a little bit deeper and understand like what's really going on there. Um, so you get to a point where, you know, like you said, you had to take a leave of absence, which walk me through that. How does that happen? What are you telling people? Because I think, you know, now it's a little bit more, it might be a little easier to, to say, Hey, I have ADHD or I've got this issue. Yeah. I'm trying to figure it out or here's how I manage that. But talk me, talk to me about that point in your life where you're like, Hey, it's so bad that I need to step away from work. And then how, how did that, how did you manage that? What did you tell people? What did you do? That's, that seems like a really intense moment in your life. Super intense. Um, and for a couple reasons, right? I think we live in a hustle culture, right? So mm-hmm. we live in this, this culture, this um, society that that's sort of seen as a sign of weakness, you know, like pick, pick up your, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, like stand back up, like, you know, yeah. we get a lot of that, like, just go get it, go kill it. Like, you know, yeah. just make another Especially call and it'll be fine. Oh man, they're very much in sales. Yeah. And so for me, number one, what I would say is it scared the shit out of me. Mm. Just the fact that I was at a point that I, like you said, I was paralyzed. Like I literally could not do my job and outside of work, it affected everything else. It affected my interpersonal relationships. It affected my relationship with my son. Um, it was, it was scary. It was one of those things that, you know, first of all, you're thinking like, what's wrong with me? What, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Number two, I've got to, I got to go to HR. I work for an HR company, right? So it should be easier, but you know, it's like, I got to go to HR. I got to tell them that, you know, my mental health is not good enough to continue working and that I need some time to figure that out. And then having that conversation with your boss. Mm. right who <laughs> was very much sort of on the hustle culture side of things yeah. right like pick yourself up it'll be fine just keep working keep doing this and i was like you don't understand like there's no more gas in the tank right like i'm uh, and beyond just like the mental health stuff like that was also affecting me physically i had oh, wow. friends look at me and they were like dude you look sick mm. like things were going on i lost like 30 pounds in like 5 weeks I looked, I'm already a tall, skinny dude. I mean, you know, athletes tend to be that way, especially <laughs> tennis and cyclists, right? Yeah. 
very unique. So like, I didn't have 30 pounds to lose. And yeah. so I had people that loved and cared about me going like, dude, are you, are you okay? Wow. Like, what's going wrong? Um, so there's a part of me like internally, physically, I felt like, um, I was like dying from cancer or something, right? That was first thought. Like, this is what happens to people that have cancer. You think of like Steve Jobs with pancreatic cancer and yeah. things like that. So all of these thoughts are sort of going through your head. So one, it was, you know, talking to the company saying, Hey, I, I need a leave of absence. And they're like, that's okay. No worries. We got you. You've got disability. You've got all of these things. Here's how you do it. So they were incredibly supportive from an HR standpoint. Wow. Um, my boss, on the other hand, not so much, right? I'm a quota carrier. You can't take three weeks off. Like this is going to affect your business. You know, all the deals that you're working are going to have to go to somebody else. So I'm like, Oh shit. Like, yeah, like this is really going to have a significant negative impact on, on my life by doing this. But I knew that I needed to. Um, wow. So that is, you know, it, it's, it's so, it's so interesting. You bring up this like hustle culture that's very present in sales. Um, and, and what, what year did you, do you, do you think this was going down in? This was, I mean, almost to the date we're in what September. So it was three years, three and a half years ago is oh, okay. when all so, of this really started to happen. Okay. That's interesting because, you know, now we're, I think it's a lot easier to go to an employer and say, Hey, my mental health is not in a place where I can be my best at work and I need to figure something out. Like if I went to my boss today and said that, I think it would be a lot easier for them to go. I can understand what that means. But if yeah. even a few years ago, like you're saying, even like three years ago, yeah. not as easy to say to your boss, my mental health is causing me to not be in a place where I can work. And like, what yeah. is like, you like, you hurt your back? I can understand that. Like you yeah. got in a car accident. <laughs> I can totally understand that. But like, what? Like you just don't feel like working today. Like, I don't really understand that. Mm. So yeah, man, I can't imagine what, what that was like for you to have to go to your boss and, and, and have that conversation and have a response like that. I mean, the anxiety that you must have been feeling should have probably skyrocketed even more because now you're like, shoot, I'm trying to help myself. And in helping myself, I'm hurting myself financially and even professionally potentially because yeah. this is not going to look good on me. It could, my superiors could look at me as someone who was, you know, weak. I don't oh, know if man. you felt that, but. Oh yeah, life, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, now, when you are, are talking to your boss, are you telling him, like, this is an ADHD thing? Or is it still not clear to you at this point? You just needed to get the heck out of there. It, you know, at the time, it wasn't clear to me. Obviously, ADHD has always been in the back of my mind. Like, I knew right. that I, I struggled with some of those challenges with focus and attention and that kind of stuff. But at the time, it wasn't even a thought in my mind, right? It was like, why am I having panic attacks? Like, why do I... You know, and if, if nobody's had, if you haven't had a panic attack before, it feels like you're having a heart attack. Like mm. you can literally feel your like heart pounding out of your chest and you can't think straight. And like, it just felt like something was genuinely wrong, physically wrong. I knew that there was something mentally going on as well. Right. But something yeah. genuinely physically, some physical sickness was happening because of it as well. Um, wow. So then yeah. you, you step away yep. and, um, 
how how long were you out for? What did you do during that time? And then when you came back, what was that like? Yeah, so let's start with like what I did when I stepped away. So the very first thing I did is I started seeing a therapist, mostly because I wanted to figure out what the hell's going on, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. so I did, I, I saw a therapist and I saw a doctor almost immediately, like day one and day two of my leave. I went to the, the my, um, my family doctor, my, uh, my physician, and was like, dude, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Let's figure out if there's something physically going on. So we did blood tests and hormone tests and blood sugar tests. I mean, we did every wow. like full physical, like everything to sort of determine, was there something actually physically happening to me that's causing some of this other stuff? And then immediately started seeing a therapist because I just knew like my brain wasn't in the right place. So started seeing a therapist um, twice a week, actually. So I saw two initially because I wasn't, I found two people that worked with ADHD ears. Um, okay. But specifically, I worked with a man and a woman um, who both sort of worked in the occupational mental health space as well. So mm -hmm. um, to really decide who's the right person for me, ultimately. So I went twice a week for um, the first, uh, first like three weeks. So I took four weeks off to answer okay. your earlier question, because I thought that that'd be enough. Um, and ultimately it turned out to be, but so those first couple of weeks, I saw somebody like twice a week and sort of rotated between these two therapists. Ultimately, um, you know, I was, I was re-diagnosed with ADHD, but also with like an anxiety disorder, mm. which stems from the ADHD. Yep. Um, so once I learned that number one, it was like, okay, right. Like a, a deep breath. I, I've dealt with this before. There's ways to treat it. There's all sorts of, um, there's all sorts of stuff out there, all sorts of resources that help me manage this and understand it better. Um, and then I've now, you know, from that date forward, um, I've been seeing a therapist now virtually every month for a long time. It was every week and then mm -hmm. it went to two weeks and now it's once a month to do sort of our checkups, right. To make sure that, um, I'm still feeling good, that I'm still in a good headspace, that I'm not running into a lot of those challenges and, quite frankly, one of the best decisions I ever made. Yeah, I, so, man, I so many things kind of going through my head here and you, you say all this first, I appreciate you kind of sharing this. I mean, this is really, really intense stuff to, to go through, Never mind, just talk about um, out loud. So I appreciate you sharing your story. I'm also really impressed that when you take the time off that you do go see a therapist because going to the doctor like, yeah, I could see that being like, we got it. What the heck's going on with my body? But I could also have seen you just going, man, I just got to take some time off and I just don't want to do anything and not really pursue any sort of professional help um, from a, from a therapist, never mind a doctor. So the fact that you did both, I'm really impressed by. Um, and also if there's you know anyone listening thinking about going to therapy contemplating how to you know how to do this what to do a lot of the therapists that i've seen personally and talked to on the podcast will say you know there is something to be said about speaking to a therapist that either has adhd themselves or focuses on adhd individuals or both um, and also there's something to be said to seeing multiple therapists because not every 
person you talk to, is there going to be a good connection? And it's kind of hard to figure that out until you go and talk to somebody. Um, yeah. So I love your approach that you took. I don't know if that was on purpose or by accident, but it doesn't really matter. You, I feel like you kind of got to the right place. Yeah. So when you're, you're in these sessions, what are some of the things that start coming up? Maybe some of these aha moments of like, oh, this is, this is we're we're getting to something here. How, how did that come about, and what were some of those things? Yeah, so um, you know, the anxiety was really the one that it clicked for me initially because I they could talk about what it feels like, right? Fear, this constant sense, heart racing. So some of the physical sort of manifestations of anxiety, but also what it creates right and then the therapist that i ended up you know choosing and seeing it's sort of like dating somebody right like you yeah. said seeing multiples <laughs> it's like you got to find the one that you have the connection with because that's really where the work starts to to help because they you can connect and you can share things on a deeper level things that you're scared to talk about with your spouse or your parents or your friends mm -hmm. right it's all that stuff that we sort of hold back and and when i found the right one i just found that i could like like for sort of lack of a better term, I could like word vomit on him. Oh yeah, and, sure. And he would sort of absorb it and give me feedback on that. So I think the, the first epiphany was anxiety, understanding what it is, right? It's this, this fight or flight response, right? It's like, do we stick in it or do we bounce, right? Because of just how our brain innately works from hundreds of thousands of years ago, right? So yeah. what we have to remember is, you know, he always said, is there a saber toothed tiger, you know, in your life right now? Is there a lion attacking you right now? No. He's like, okay, so, you know, take a couple breaths. And so breath work started to become a part of that. And then I learned from him specifically that untreated ADHD tends to manifest itself in ADHDers as anxiety. So when you don't understand it or you're not managing it through, you know, exercise and diet or medication or any of the other plethora of ways to help treat it, that it really manifests itself in your day-to-day -day life as anxiety. So that was really the, the epiphany for me was knowing that the anxiety wasn't just because of crazy work-life stress, um, sales stress, things like that. It was actually because for, you know, almost 15 years, I didn't treat myself for it. Yeah. So it was these things started to, when you're not mindful and aware of them, just started coming back up, back up, back up. And then when that happens all the time, you start living in this sort of um, increased level of anxiety, right? So instead of having like a low level anxiety, let's say on a scale of one to 10, normally we're at like a two or three as normal human beings. Mm -hmm. But I was living at an eight or a nine, right? So yeah. that anything that happened in my life triggered these panic attacks, triggered this paralysis, triggered, you know, emotional instability because of ADHD. There's all of these things that because of this sort of heightened level of anxiety made it really hard to um, get that other stuff under control and more manageable. Man. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, that's really intense. I, um, I, I can't imagine what that whole process was like, but I'm really excited that you've kind of made your way through that. And now you get to share your story with others because I'm willing to bet you are not the only person, dude, that is dealing with that. It's dealt with that, trying to figure out what the heck is going on with their life. So I love that 
you know, you have a story that you can share and hopefully help others. I mean, I think that's one of the main reasons why Jess and I started having this podcast was to Mm -hmm. find people that have stories like yours. Um, So I'm really interested, like, as you've moved on from that, I'm sure everything's just been perfect. No problems. Life's great. (laughs) No stress anymore. (laughs) Right. Therapy fixed everything. Um, No, obviously not. But now that you've kind of on the are on the other side of that in your work now um as you've joined different companies and navigated your career is your adhd and anxiety something that you tell people about because i think that's Mm -hmm. a big thing especially people like me that are newly diagnosed i'm like do i need to like tell people about this like do i just not tell anyone about it like how, how have you navigated that going forward from from that experience Great question. Um, I think for me, part of my own treatment for myself has been sharing the story, right? Because it, mm-hmm. it takes, for lack of a better term, sort of takes some of the pressure off of me to feel like I need to fit into some sort of pre-assumed box, right? Yeah. That I can have those conversations with my coworkers um, that... And I think like you said earlier, right, being able to share this story, I've found a lot of people that have resonated with that. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, dude, I had that same, I've had the same problems or I'm having them right now. Like, how do I handle it? How do I manage it? So for me, um, I, me talking about it has been very therapeutic um, because it allows me to help spread some of the knowledge that I've learned about ADHD and, and the anxiety piece in particular but also help provide some background on how do you help yourself with that, right? Like there's nothing wrong with seeing a therapist. There's nothing wrong with taking medication. I currently don't take any medication because I've found some other really amazing ways to help me manage my symptoms. Um, But it's been a way for me to um, share, like like you've said, like the reason we're here, right, is share this story with other people because other people are dealing with the same thing and it may not be adhd but it may be anxiety um and that's been a huge part of sort of my journey moving forward it's a lot of what i share on my linkedin profile um, is a lot about mental health and and adhd so um, those are both really important to me and i've found that i learn a lot when i share about my experience as well so it gives me more opportunities to connect with people and I'm not a therapist by any means. I'm not a trained professional, but it's given me the ability to help some people understand their situation better and give them some anecdotal um, ways to help themselves be better. Um, And ultimately feel like you don't have to be a neurotypical, right? You don't have to fit in this typical box that you can be authentically who you are and still have some success in this world. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the I love the message. I love the the, the thought there. I think um, having relationships with with professional therapists, counselors, coaches, doctors serves a absolutely critical piece um, in 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 your life and in your story. But then also being able to connect with people who can share their story. And like you said, you and I, you know, I can't, if some, I've had a lot of people reach out to me asking me questions and it's really liberating to go. I don't have all the answers. I can tell you what I've experienced. 
And it's shocking how many people have experienced the same thing and being able to share a story. I'm like, Hey man, this is what I did. Like, why don't you try that? And if that doesn't work, you know, go try this. I mean, the first thing I always tell people is go talk to a medical professional. Absolutely. And then, you know, there's a lot of different things that people are, are trying to navigate. So having a story that you can share, I love that just the idea of trying to trying to help people with what you've you've navigated. But you, you brought up an interesting point, you know, not trying to fit into a box that wasn't created for you. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like really recently this idea that being a neurodiverse person um, is going to mean that you are not the 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 work environments that you're in, we're probably not built for people like us to thrive in. And I think a lot of people with ADHD, and I didn't really know this about myself until I really started digging into it, because I, I kind of pushed back on that initially. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I've been doing fine. But what I really understood as I dug into that was this concept of masking, of like just putting on this front and thinking you're doing it when you're really not doing it (laughs) like um and that that can look like a million different things but i'm curious to know have there been any changes in your work life that you've made understanding how your brain works that maybe other people don't do or don't need to do like what, what sort of accommodations have you had to make for yourself and has has an employer ever made any accommodations for you knowing how your mind works Yeah. um, I think one of the things that I've done to sort of accommodate myself, and it's scary. Um, I talked about this recently with somebody else earlier in the week is um, having the conversation with your leadership, right? Like, hey, this is this is how my brain works. You don't have to necessarily say like, oh, my God, I have anxiety and ADHD. But you can say, hey, you know, boss man, (laughs) um, you know, I tend to work better under pressure on short time frames and in a more dynamic environment, right? So, you know, if you can, and it's not too much extra work for you, can you make sure like if there's a deadline that I need to hit that you don't let me know two months in advance, but you let me know two weeks in advance, right? Because my brain, I just do better work that way. If you give me two months, I'm going to put it off until there's a week left anyhow. Right. (laughs) Right. Because that's just how like my brain thrives on that type of environment. So, you know, some of the accommodations that that um, that's one of them is just being able to have the conversation. So that's just one that I've over, you know, 15 years and now really diving into this, um, you know, my challenges over the last three and a half years is being really comfortable just having the conversation like, hey, I'm neurodiverse. I have ADHD. You know, here's some things that you can do to help me, because I think good leadership wants to know that anyhow. Yeah. Right. If they're willing to listen and hear you, they want to know that, hey, don't give Waldo a two month timeline. Give him a two week timeline. Give him a deadline that's two days, because I know that he's still through his actions. He's going to come through and he's going to, you know, using the the hustle culture, crush that whatever, you know, that deal, that opportunity, that presentation. Um, so some of that is just understanding your brain well enough that you can say, Hey, this is what I need from you and being comfortable enough in the leadership, which comes to like some of the other accommodations is, you know, if you're in a role, um, already, you know, those might be more challenging, but if you're like, let's say looking for a new role and you're looking at changing a career, you can start to weed out those employers by like in, in the interview process, asking them, like, how do you manage? 
How do you like to manage? What does that look like for you, right? Because then you can start to get an idea that this person's going to give me freedom of creativity. They're going to allow me to be a thinker. They're going to allow me to, you know, have a sense of humor. They're going to allow me to multitask. Um, they're going to give me something interesting so I can actually laser focus. You know, there's all those types of things that if you're looking for a job, say, or a career to make a change, you can look at the culture and the environment of leadership to understand, can they help accommodate somebody that's an ADHD or do they just expect you to work like everybody else in the office does? Yeah, that's, man, so huge. And I think the only way you can get to that place is to know is to understand yourself and to really mm -hmm. do the work to understand like how do i find success what is it about my you know work process or my mind that i like and i need to have you know focused on for me to be successful for me um i've had um since being diagnosed i've had two conversations with direct uh, bosses, um, right. one being like a, a manager and another one um, being a C-level executive that I report to. And, you know, that's been super important for me because I know that if you don't, if your mind doesn't work the way my mind does, then you may take some things that I do differently than how I'm taking them, right? So I, I always make it or I say always, it's only happened two times. So I have made a priority to be like, hey, just so you know, I work this way. Yes. Um, and if you don't see something on my calendar, it, it can mean this. But if I have, a, if I have a, something on my calendar block that says focus, like here's what that means for me, here's what I'm doing, here's what, how I would love to interact with you, here's how I like to take feedback. Like, mm. just so you know, like if you, if you want to tell me something that I did well, if you tell that in front of the team, I'm going to feel awesome, way better than if you tell me it in private. Yeah. And if you want to tell me something I didn't do well, like I actually would rather you not tell me that in front of other one. people, you know, <laughs> and some of these things, like people are like, I totally understand that. But then there's other things like, Hey, if I'm in an office, I'm gonna be wearing headphones and I, I need you to let me do that. Because yeah. yeah, when I was working in an office pre-diagnosis pre and I started wearing headphones in the office, it was not something that people were super cool with. Like it was definitely looked at as like, you're just trying to isolate yourself. Like no one can approach you. You're not being a good communicator or team player. But I'm like, dude, I gotta block out all the stuff that's happening. I can't focus when I can hear the AC unit and I can hear Janet eating her sandwich and people are talking all the time. Like I can't do it, dude. So understanding that and just having those conversations with, with people who are care about your success, like kind of important because that that's been really, you know, beneficial for my, my leadership to understand how I work. And I can't even tell you how great working from home has been for me. I was always a big in office person and Part of that, I think, was this kind of masking situation mm -hmm. I found myself in because I've, everyone was doing it. I need to do that. But then when I started working from home, I'm like, oh, man, like having the freedom to be like, I got to take a break whenever. And no one's like looking at me like Nate's gotten up from his desk six times in the last two hours. Like, 
he must not be working very hard or he must not care about what's going on. Like, oh, Nate's headset's not on at 9 a.m. He must be slacking today. You know, like that sort of pressure being relieved was like super liberating. I'm like, man, look how great I can do. And I've definitely had the most successful years of my career now that I can work in that way. Um, Yeah, it's been phenomenal. So um, love that approach of kind of being open. And also too, it doesn't even need to be like, just so you know, I have ADHD, so I'm going to work differently. Like, I don't even know if my, if I've, I've told my boss that, um, but it was for something different. Um, It was for a different accommodation. It's just been like, Hey, this is how my mind works. And it doesn't even really matter why it works that way. If you're not comfortable, like saying it, because it also was like one of those things, anyone, especially I believe people that are older than us can have a different view on mental illness and ADHD 100%. than we do, right? So it's like, okay, I get it. You're lazy, whatever. Um, but oh, you know, doesn't that irk you when people say that too? Because we work so damn hard. Yeah, I've been super fortunate enough where I haven't had people tell me that like to me, um, but I definitely know that it's out there and other people deal with that. Um, one thing in terms of accommodations, um, the company I work for has accommodations where was, if you have a mental diagnosis, then there's a benefit that if you just fill out some of the, do some paperwork for us. So we know you're not kind of lying, then we will pay for, you can pick, pick something that would help you work better. doesn't matter what it is. We'll buy it for you. And I was like, Whoa, this was huge. So that, that was a big, like, I'm in a great spot. Look at the support. Um, so I don't think that's a very common benefit, but I would encourage people to ask, you know, and even if it's not like a, a benefit, if you're going to your, your boss and be like, Hey, this, if I could work in this way, or if I had this tool, it would really help me. And here's why could we expense it? Because it would really help something like that. I would always encourage people to, to, to have that conversation and bring that up. Absolutely. so when you kind of are looking at your, you know, your story, what is one of maybe one or two messages that you're always hoping that you could deliver to people if they're, if they're coming to you, asking about your experience, coming to you with questions, what are some of the the themes or takeaways that you're hoping people will get from, from you? That's a great question. Like, one of the things I always try to think about when I'm thinking about ADHD in particular is that we have a certain set of what I call superpowers, right? So that um, our neurodivergent brains work different than the neurotypical, and there's this sort of really cool set of superpowers. Like, so one that I always like to talk about is our ability to laser focus, right? Most people think of ADHD as like, oh, they can't pay attention. They're all over the place. That's usually because we're doing something that's uninteresting. Right, but you give us an interesting something, an interesting problem to solve, an interesting task, an interesting anything, and we can literally lose all time behind it. <laughs> so if you can find, and especially in sales, since we're in sales, let's talk specifically about that. If you can find a product that you really like, your ability to you know, sit down in training and learn that, learn every bit of it, learn how to sell it, learn the ways that it solves people's problems. You will be hyper successful in that field because you literally have the ability to focus on something that nobody else has the ability to do, right? They might be able to force themselves to sit down and read a bunch of stuff, but you will literally 
read and retain, you know, they say upwards of like 60 to 70% of the information if it's something that you're interested in. Yeah. So I take like Porsches, for example, I've been obsessed with them since I was a little kid because I think they're beautiful cars, et cetera. I once sat down for like seven hours and read an entire history of Porsche coffee table book. <laughs> and I can still remember all of that information to this day. Right. So, yeah. um, so I have like this list of superpowers that I think are really awesome. That's like the first message I would think of. And those are our ability to problem solve. Um, right. There might be a process, but we will always find a way to do something better, faster, mm -hmm. easier, because that's just how our brain works. We're hyper imaginative and creative. So if you need somebody on your team or you are that, find a way to build that into your business and how you do your day to day life. Um, we're extremely compassionate. Right. I think you've sort of spoken about this a little bit and we're often criticized for being lazy or not working hard enough or, you know, throughout our lives, those are sort of common things that we hear from as an ADHD or is they're not working hard enough. They're not applying themselves. So we have a huge level of compassion for ourselves as well as other people. Um, we have great perseverance, heightened sense of observation. So it's something you just talked about, right? Hearing the air conditioning or hearing Karen eat her sandwich. <laughs> Right. Like we have an ability to catch things in conversation in social settings that nobody else can will ever notice. Right. You could be in a room of 100 people and an ADHD would be like, oh, yeah, John over there doesn't have his shoes tied. Right. Yeah. And people will be like, how did you even notice yeah, that? Yeah. Why? Like, how did you I mean, why? Why did you notice that? Like, I don't know. I just did. I don't know. It just did. Like, that's just how my brain works. Right. Yeah. We have this endless energy and zeal for life. So I think that that's something that if you're a manager listening to this or if you're somebody that has ADHD newly diagnosed, that's a benefit that'll help you get through a lot of things in life. We have incredibly strong moral compasses. So those are some of the, like my favorite list of superpowers that that we have. I love that. Um, I think that's a really great list. I could I could give you examples of everything you just said. One that I kind of want to nail down on, um, and we only have a couple minutes here yeah. with, if you're in sales specifically having, like you said, having something that you care about can, is, is, is unbelievably important for people like us, but it, it's, it's tricky because our desire and what we find interesting can come and go, right? Like that's, we've got a new hyper-focus and this is all I care about. <laughs> and I'm going to do all this. And three, like, three weeks later, you're like, I don't care about that at all, but now I want to do this. Please, if you are like us, please have someone that you can talk to about it because I know, I mean, I have a therapist that I've been speaking to. My wife is an unbelievable champion of mine. There have been times I've gone to her and I've been like, I think I want to do this. I think that's where I want to take my career. And she's always been very supportive, but also like, well, okay, well, how about we give it a minute before you go and change <laughs> your career completely yeah. on what you're going to do, right? Um, but what you think is interesting can can take different um, avenues. So think mm -hmm. about the product that you're selling. You don't have to be like in love with the product itself. You can be, but if you're not, there can be other things that you care about. So for instance, the product that I sell currently, I can't tell you that it's my favorite thing to talk about in the world. Yeah. It's not. But what I really do like and connect with is that the change that is happening in the industry that I'm in and being involved in that transformation that organizations are taking with my product being at the cornerstone of that, that I resonate with, that yes. I connect with. And that's something that like, 
keeps me wanting to to do more and push through and, and find new opportunities and, and drive success for our team is because that's something that's really exciting. So if you're, you know, if you're someone that constantly is finding new things interesting, it doesn't have to just be the company or the product or the swag. It can be how you operate in your work that yes. you can find satisfaction and, and real interest in. Um, but yeah, this is, Waldo, this conversation has been great, man. I feel like we could probably talk for like, I feel like I say this at the end of every conversation. We could probably keep talking for like three hours. It would probably be really great. Absolutely. Um, if, if anyone listening has been really resonating with your story and they want to maybe hear more about your perspective or connect with you in any way, what's the best way for people to, to do that? Yeah, I think um, most of where I share this information and talk about it the most is on LinkedIn. Um, so if you look up, you know, Ryan Waldo Waldvogel, um, that's a hard last name, but I'm sure that'll be printed somewhere. Yeah. Um, you can always look me up there. I'm always open to answer questions. Um, um, you know, like Nate said earlier, we were introduced by a mutual friend um, who also is an ADHD -er. So. Um, I think we're all really open with sharing our experiences and that's probably the best way to, you know, find content that I share about mental health and ADHD as well as just have a conversation if this is something that you're, you're sort of starting to wonder and, uh, you know, maybe this is me or if some of our conversation really resonated with you. I'm happy to answer any, any questions. Like Nate said earlier, always seek professional help. I'm definitely not a therapist. I'm a software sales guy, but I have a lot of experience with uh, ADHD and myself and then my, my son as well as a diagnosed ADHD or so. I have Beautiful. experience as an adult and a, a young kid in my household. Yeah, man, I think your story is great. And again, I really appreciate being open to put it out there and share what some people would consider shortcomings and weaknesses and, and kind of bring that to light and share that and explain how it's worked for you and how you've dealt with it. I think it's been, been really, really great. And, um, I think there's a lot of strength that comes from your story. Um, so I, again, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, and tip and in, in typical fashion, I, I was going to say something else, but I've totally forgot what I was going to say, but I, uh, Oh, that's what I remember. I was going to say, if you do want to connect to him on LinkedIn, we'll link his LinkedIn in the show notes. So, if you uh, have problems with your last name, don't worry about it. We'll get you covered. Perfect. <laughs> All right, Waldo. It was great chatting with you, man. I'll talk with you soon. Thanks, Nate. All right. Well, thanks to Waldo for taking time out of his day again to, to chat with me. Uh, I just had an absolute blast connecting with him, talking about ADHD and talking about work, two of my favorite things to talk about coming together in one podcast episode. That was super fun. It was an amazing conversation. I feel like for someone who I would say is on the outside, like me, I think I know you so well, but then I also still don't know how work works for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I know bits and pieces of it and I know obviously what it's like for you to work from home and to be here and to juggle that part of it. But to hear a conversation where you guys are both in similar fields and, and had so many similarities, <laughs> it was just really eye-opening and it was a really great conversation for me even to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's always shocking and it really shouldn't be shocking at this point whenever I talk to somebody how many similarities there are. It was unreal. It's really just crazy. But you mentioned to me when we were getting ready to, to chit chat 
that you learned so much. So I'd really love to hear what sort of things stood out to you. What sort of what was the kind of the, the takeaway for you, someone who isn't in software sales? Right. I think a lot of it just had to do with this understanding that you guys do have so many similarities and this idea that sales is a pull for somebody with ADHD and it's this monotony but also super exciting and this hustle culture and all these different things that he was detailing that he has faced, you've also faced. And so for me to see it like, oh, this isn't just Nate's story. This is like very common for people with ADHD. Um, I also loved how he was talking about just the way that he handled his leave of absence. I Honestly, like you mentioned when you were talking with him, so many people would have taken that as like a, I am going on vacation for four weeks and doing nothing and mm. I'll be fine. And he looked at it like, no, I really need to figure out what's going on with my body. Yeah. And I'm so impressed with that and I'm so glad that he did because I think the other side of the mental breakdown or the challenges that he was facing is that he could have plummeted to a very, very dark place, even far darker than what he was talking about. And I mean, you, your mind can kind of run with where this could go, right? Anxiety's taking over. Really sad circumstances could have happened had he just plunged back in after four weeks. Oh, yeah. And thank God that he's here and he's sharing his story. And hopefully it's going to be as helpful as I can imagine it to be. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, when you are faced with that decision to step away from work, which, you know, he didn't say this, but I think a lot of guys specifically, mm. work is part of your identity and Absolutely. a huge part of your identity. So to come to the realization that you need to step away from that in order to better yourself mm -hmm. uh, could have been a really hard thing to work through because you're you could have he could have looked at it as I'm losing my identity right now and I don't know who I am mm -hmm. but he really took the opportunity to really dive into who he is yeah. and figure out what's going on and was very proactive like you said so amazing super impressive it's also really interesting to see this shift with the pandemic you know we can mm -hmm. all look at the pandemic as full of negativity and all these really hard things that we all had to figure out right every single person went through this but on the flip side of it he's looking at this situation and his mental breakdown and his leave of absence pre-pandemic and you mm -hmm. brought it up in there if someone was to go to their boss today with the same situation and to have these same concerns and needs it would be handled in a much different way you know, most most of yeah, the time. Obviously, the time. we can't speak for everyone. But because this idea of mental health has become so much more accepted and it's just affecting every single person on the planet post-pandemic. Yeah. Which is really cool. And again, these conversations can help that to even go further for helping other people face it. Yeah, totally. And I think when he was walking through having to talk to HR and having to talk to his mm. boss, like I was feeling super anxious just hearing him talk about that because I can't imagine what that would have been like mm -hmm. to try and bring that up. Because I know me, if I had to do that, there is a side of me that's like, I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I have to stop working to go deal with this issue that I have. 
and I can't do both because I'm not strong enough. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's he, maybe he was feeling some of that, but he whatever he was feeling, he didn't let that stop him from doing what he knew was the right thing to do. And yeah. that is so impressive. Yeah. And I think with the you know sales world, I think it is a really really just impressive um, feat with that in mind because of this other side of this where you step away from work, you step away from your income potential right. in the moment, but you also are sacrificing income potential in the future because like you mentioned, he had, a, he had to push deals that he was working to somebody else, which probably meant he did not get any money if those deals you know closed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just, it's just a massive burden to try and figure out and the fact that he was able to navigate that I think is is really unique in the sales world never mind just anyone having to try and work through that yeah I felt like I resonated a little bit with him because when we had some external family situations not between Nate and I but externally and I had to leave my job mentally and emotionally I just couldn't take care of other people at being a social worker I needed a break and I had that same conversation with my boss and I remember calling you and just being like I remember it was a Friday I remember it so specifically and I'm just like I I can't do it I can't take care of anybody else anymore like I have to stop working I have to take care of myself and having that conversation in my field was still challenging when all we do is take care of other people mentally and emotionally and physically and so for him to have that conversation in a sales world where that's just so far from what the focus is, I'm like, man, that conversation was hard for me. I cannot fathom what that conversation was like. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to say, like, again, I'm Yeah, I'm you've so been right impressed. There. Like I just it's incredible that you would be able to stand up for yourself and and do that. And what a testament now and an inspiration. Absolutely. And this is, depending on when all these air, this is the second conversation with someone that I've had who's in sales and also has ADHD. Um, And as I've been having more conversations, it is really incredible about the number of people that I'm hearing that are in my field that also have ADHD. And I would love to explore that more. Mm -hmm. And we touched on a little bit about what is it that drives us to this field will knowingly or not mm-hmm. i think it's most unknowingly going into sales whether they know that they have adhd or not even waldo he knew he had adhd really didn't even make the connection that some of his struggles were due to that mm-hmm. even though he knew he had that diagnosis which i right. thought was really interesting right. um and another challenge of when you've been diagnosed as a kid and you're growing up with this, you know that this is a situation, mm-hmm. but it almost becomes, you know, like something you don't even really think about because well, it's so normal. Right. Well, that's what he said because he, he went 15 years untreating it. He kind of just yeah. forgot about it. Right. And ADHD does manifest as anxiety as he's, you know, clearly told us. And it is crazy to see it come back full circle. I thought it was really cool too that he said that he is not on medication at this point and he's weaned down his therapy sessions and he was like hyper intensive all in right at the beginning which is so great and he's gotten it to a point where he's managing it 
without medications and mm-hmm. with only monthly check-ins for therapy and he's at a really good place to handle it himself which is super cool yeah and it definitely you know mirrors off another conversation that i had around medication and how do you manage your adhd what are the steps what is the ultimate goal here mm-hmm. and talking about uh, therapy and medication as tools and i think waldo's mm-hmm. a great example of someone who's used the tools that are available to him when he's needed those tools absolutely and not just saying you know what this is how it's going to be for the rest of my life but right. has figured out hey i can do this in this way i can also manage this now because i have these tools i can yep. do it in a different way yep. and i think it's really important for people to hear that and i've i've been i really try and walk the line of medication is important medication is a tool right. that can be used and if you are on medication your entire life that is okay right and if you aren't that's also okay i don't think there's one way is better than the other but i just want people to hear stories of both sides there yeah, and, and I, I think this is a great example it is because he even shared about the fluctuations of medications and different things throughout high school and college as well and i'm sure he would say i mean i don't want to speak for him but i can imagine he would say you know in six months from now if something else happens and i have to go back to weekly therapy sessions or i have to reintroduce medication again it's not the end of the world yeah it's, it's not a defeat no it's not it's just it's, a tool yeah exactly I also loved, I just want to hit on two other things. I loved that he was talking about specific details of talking with leadership and sharing like accommodations that you might need and being very specific of like, hey, I'm not going to be great if you tell me a deadline's mm-hmm. happening in six months from now, but if you tell me I have to get something on your desk in six days, trust me, I'm going to crush it. Right. And working for a company that can have leadership like that and even he was talking about like if you're looking for a new job asking those questions in the interview process and going this is this is what's happening like i'm gonna ask you questions i want to know how you're gonna handle this if i come to you and say hey i need shorter deadlines and i need you to trust that i'm gonna crush it because of x y and z and i'm gonna prove it to you right and i'm like wow that's so cool yeah and you shared a bunch of your accommodations and it's I think just a testament to, again, I would say post-pandemic, you know, thoughts on mental health, but also ADHD just becoming more and more out there for everyone to hear about, is that if bosses and leadership can approach it in a different way and give you those accommodations that you need, I mean, you guys crush it. Yeah, I think it's super super important. And I think this could be something that we spin off into a whole nother thing. Mm -hmm. But if you're in sales and you find out that you have ADHD or you know you have ADHD, it's so important to understand, put in the work to understand how you operate and how you work because you have to be able to go, like he's saying here and like you were highlighting, you have to be able to go to your leadership and say, this is how I work Mm -hmm. and this is what that means. If I'm doing these things, that's what it means for me. Mm -hmm. But you can't, go and tell people how to help you be better if you don't really understand what it is yourself. They're not gonna figure it out for you. So you really have to put in the work to understand, here's what I need. A deep self-awareness and understanding. And I think therapy is key to that. I think therapy is super important. And you know, I would love to see a space where 
people with ADHD and are in sales can come together to, to learn from each other. Ooh, and I think this yeah. is kind of the first kind of attempt at that is to have this conversation here. So I'd love to see, you know, where we can go with that in the future. And Light maybe ball. we'll be at the forefront of that. Yeah. Last thing I just thought was incredible was when he listed off all of these superpowers. And I just want to say them one more time because he put it together in like an incredible list. And I, I just love, I love how he said it. So laser focus, ability to problem solve, imaginative, creative, compassionate. They, you, all ADHDers, persevere. You catch little details in crazy environments. Endless energy and zeal for life and a strong moral compass. Mm. I mean, if that doesn't, he just, he nailed it. As someone who's very it. sensitive to the ADHD superpower kind of thing. I know, you thing, hate that phrase. I don't know, but I'm sensitive to it. Okay, I'm sorry, but this But this list is incredible though. And I feel like I want to say it back to you like over and over again of like, look at what he just said. And all of these things are 100% true. Yeah, and I... I and I agree because, you know, there are some, I see other people say superpowers and they list things and I'm like, well, whatever. Right. But I think Waldo did a great job of articulating certain things of going, oh, you're right. He and is. I think I mentioned him, like I could pick out specific examples of all of those things yep. and really make the connections of why that's related to ADHD because of and whatever And why things. it's a great thing. Yeah. And why it's obviously a, a, a great thing. Yeah. yeah. For sure. So thanks, Waldo, for putting oh, words man. to that. I love it when people put words to things that we think about or mm. feel. I, um, yeah, this was so fun, and I, I hope that Waldo and I can continue to chat in the future. And I feel like there were so many more things we could hit on: relationships, parenting. He had a lot of wisdom, lot and of I really stuff. loved it. Wow. All right. Well, we will talk to you soon. Love you. I love you. <laughs>